welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight, we're talking a lot about nurses, in particular, violence against nurses, the most trusted professionals out there. Also going to be talking about returning to the office, or will we, when COVID is back? Also going to cover some sleep issues and whether or not you should be getting a full body MRI. What are the troubles with those? We're also going to discuss with Dr. Tommy Mitchell, E. coli in Alberta, the crisis there, housing affordability in Canada, and the impact on mental health and relationships. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. And now, Maureen's Health Headline. Well, as you know, there's been a lot of issues with nurses, nurses and violence against nurses. And on the line to discuss this with me is another nurse, Zach Smith. He has a BSN in nursing. He's a registered nurse. Good evening, Zach. Hi, Maureen. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I also want to uh, make mention that you are the VP of Brand and Engagement at Stability Healthcare and a founding member of NurseGrid. Uh, that's right. Just, yeah. I, uh, oh, sorry, oh, I was well, just saying, yeah, that's, uh, that's right. I try to stay as involved as I can with as many things as I can and, and always looking out for, for nurses and glad you're bringing up this really important topic about violence against nurses because it's top of mind for a lot of people. It, it certainly is. And, um, you know, that's the nice thing about nursing is that and myself as well, I have my hands in many pots. I've done uh, very much a multidisciplinary approach to nursing, but there are so many opportunities in nursing, but it also can be a dangerous um, pos- uh, position. You know, it can be a very dangerous job. Um, and, and I think we saw that even rise a bit further during the pandemic when, um nurses say violent assaults by patients, which were already a silent epidemic, actually rose during um, the pandemic. But, but, you know, in the past, according to many police reports, nurses working in, well, there was one nurse in particular in Rhode Island working in a psychiatric uh, unit who was critically assaulted by a patient. There was a a nurse in um, Montreal who was uh, punched in the face in a drugstore because the husband came in you know, it was very upset that his wife allegedly had received a COVID-19 vaccine, wasn't even sure if they got, if she had gotten it at that particular drugstore. But there's been a lot of um, violence against nurses. Nurses have remained silent, but there's there are organizations like Silent No More. So let's talk a little bit about this violence against nursing. It's hard to believe since nurses are considered to be if not the most, one of the most trusted professions. Yeah, I was writing about this. And and like you mentioned, you know, whether it's 21 years or 41 years, there's so many studies out there that say routinely that nurses are the most trusted profession out there. But I think we have seen sort of an eroding in trust in just medical professionals in general. And it it doesn't have to be a psychiatric ward in order to find sort of violence against nurses. It's everywhere. It's all across hospitals. And clinics alike and you know it's in in some ways you can understand that these are really highly intense and emotional painful moments for the patients that we as nurses go into these rooms and try to provide care for them but you mix some of that pain uh and suffering that they might be going through with distrust that they uh, are, are you know fomenting against the, their healthcare providers and it becomes harder and harder to provide care and you know as a compassionate caregiver you just want to see these people get healthy uh, and get back on their feet and back out of the hospital door. But it can be really challenging to do our jobs 
with all the obstacles in our face and, and violence against nurses with it being on the rise, especially since the pandemic, like you mentioned, uh, it can become really dangerous to do our jobs. And so we have to do this balance of we need to provide the care that these patients need, compassionate care, but we also have to protect ourselves because this is a job and we have a life at home that we have to look out for too. And that's right. And, you know, it's certainly every single unit you can find uh, situations where nurses have been critically injured, murdered, um, you know, injured, whether it be on a med surge ward, on a, in the uh, recovery room. Um, you know, it's a dangerous job. And a lot of people might not realize that. And nurses need support. Uh, and nurses have also been the backbone of the healthcare system, whether it be in the U.S., I know you're in the U.S., or in Canada, and especially through the pandemic. And, you know, nurses haven't, um, you know, it's been very difficult to be in that position. And they are also at higher risk because nurses spend the most time with patients. And, and they spend the most time with patients who might be agitated, you know, because they are suffering with dementia or uh, they might be upset about something, the call bell not being answered quickly enough or, or whatever. And nurses are really hard pressed these days and extremely busy and working short, quite honestly, quite often. Um, and it's, it's very, very difficult. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're you're right up in there in the in their business. You know, really close to them. Whether you're you know pushing IV meds or um, you know uh, providing any sort of care. I know I've had a number of instances. No matter how careful I try to be, um, sometimes they just can snap. And I've received two feet to my chest that threw me against the wall. It was an elderly patient who had dementia, but it just came out of nowhere. And you learn from those experiences and you try to protect yourself. And that's going on in the back of your head while you're, you know, uh, while you're entering into some of these patients' rooms. But like you mentioned, you know, nurses are stretched so thin right now in, in the U.S. and Canada and, and, you know, across, you know, Europe as well. And it puts a lot of stress on nurses. So you have less time with your patients. And as your stress level increases, that becomes harder to manage the stress level of your patients. You know, you have to have a calm demeanor about yourself in these really chaotic and stressful situations so you don't pass that on to the patient. But when you have too many patients and not enough time to provide the care for everyone, your stress level goes up and that doesn't help anyone. It only sort of increases the temperature that, you know, of these rooms that you're walking into. That's exactly right. And sometimes we're, we have no choice but to work longer than uh, the 12-hour shift, some people working 16 hours or, or working overnight. Um, but, you know, you would never think that nurses would have to be on guard. And, and that um, Gall it was the Gallup poll that voted nurses the, as the most trusted and most honest for 21 years in a row. Um, but you wouldn't think you would have to be on guard, especially from gunfire. We hear a lot about that in the schools, but we don't hear about that in the hospitals. But on, on October 22nd of last year, a gunman opened fire at Dallas Me Methodist Medical Center, killing two nurses. And the year before that, a certified nursing assistant was murdered at Jefferson Hospital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I mean, it's, you know, you don't think, gee, I'm going to go to work tonight and I potentially am going to lose my life. But that also um, puts a tremendous amount of, of stress and anxiety on, on nurses. What, what do you think the answer is here? And I know that's a very tough question, but I, I do want to get to the nurse's worth as well. Um, uh, I know we were talking about that um, prior to you coming on the show, um, but how do you think we can actually assist with the violence against nurses? Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is an approach that we have to come at from multiple, uh, multiple directions. So, 
you know, there's there's policies that we can take within hospitals that can um, protect them, uh, you know, sort of like zero tolerance policies uh, with with patients and their family. Honestly, uh, with regard to gun violence, a lot of this can come from family members, especially think about like labor and delivery units and those those fathers or those, um, uh, you know, those partners, they, they come back and, they, and they're let back in sometimes, even though they've been really abusive, uh, verbally abusive to staff. So we have to have uh-huh. a zero tolerance policy um, with family and, and patients who are abusing staff, even if it's just verbally, because that can be a precursor to actual physical violence. And with sort of the, you know, the, the, the accessibility of guns, especially here in the United States, that's always a risk. Unfortunately, that, that has to be kind of in the back of your mind, too. But, you know, that's just one thing. Of course, I, I mentioned staffing, you know, being another one, if we can, if we can staff better S- security um, uh, inside of hospitals is can be some of the nurse's best friend. Uh, uh-huh. In the hospital that I worked at in, in Portland, Oregon, we had a security officer uh, who was shot and killed by a gun uh, or with a gun um, on a liver and delivery unit uh, after sort of an agitated experience. And he left and came back and he was stepping in front of the charge nurse and ultimately saved probably oh. a few people's lives uh, in that situation. Wow. But it's just really heart- heartbreaking um, to see these cases happening time and time again. It's not just nurses, it's healthcare workers, but like you mentioned, nurses are in the in the room so often that they experience uh, the brunt of it oftentimes. But, you know, I, I think it just has to be a multitude of, uh, of, of policies and a cultural change. We've got to lower the temperature, I think. Uh, we've got to restore trust in our healthcare professionals, people who go to school to learn about these things. Um, spend their lives dedicating to learn these things. We've, we've got to uh, restore some trust in them. So there's a lot of stuff that has to be done. But, you know, I think it starts with uh, with, with a zero tolerance policy that we do not accept this. And you uh-huh. would be surprised, I, maybe not you, but maybe some of your listeners would be surprised about about how much slack we give people, even after they hit and abuse or are verbally abusive uh, to staff. Right. Um, we, we cut them, give them a pretty long leash. And unfortunately, uh, it's the it's the caregiver who ends up being the punching bag. I really want to thank Zach Smith, who is my guest right now. Zach is a registered nurse, also VP of Brand and Engagement at Stability Healthcare, and a founding member at NurseGrid. Um, Zach, thanks so much for staying on the line. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Now, um, you wrote an article in, on LinkedIn. And you talked about the worth of a nurse, the value of a nurse. And I know that some places in the U.S. have unions. Canada has unions for the most part um, for nurses who are to protect um, nurses and um, help you know, negotiate benefits and that sort of thing. Um, but in both countries, we're seeing a lot of travel nursing happening and where the salaries have increased. In Canada, we had a recent Freedom of Information Act request, a freedom of information request. And it was learned that a lot of these private companies were charging the healthcare authorities an, an exorbitant amount of money. And, and to be honest with you, not even paying some of those nurses, but paying the nurses a little bit more, maybe $10 an hour more than um, yet charging 40, 50% more um, to the health authority. That's putting pressure as well on the health authority here and the hospitals in the U.S., um, so how do we tackle this issue? Because travel nursing is appealing. A lot of the negatives are 
people say that nurses don't know their communities. They don't know the wards that they're traveling to. They are only there short term. They don't know what they're doing. There's morale issues because the travel nurses are getting paid more and than the nurses who are committed there daily and working for years. What's this all about and how do we tackle this issue? <laughs> it's complicated. And, you know, it, all these things tie together, right? Nurses, what's their worth? Do they feel valued where they're at? Do they feel heard and seen by their administrators and their leaders in the hospital? And the answer, unfortunately, to a, to a lot of those questions is that nurses don't feel that way. They don't feel like their employer, the hospital, uh, is really seeing them for the value that, that they really that they bring to uh, to the hospital. And so they they nurses also aren't. Um, trained well enough to know how to negotiate their own salaries. They sort of mm-hmm. take the salary, the, the wage that's given to them, and, and that's it. And then if a union wants to raise the, you know, the rates, if you're at a union hospital, then, then they might sort of bargain on your behalf. But nurses don't kind of come in with that sort of mindset, maybe like the business world has. And so where they do find that is in travel nursing. And that's where they can actually get rates where they feel that is, is closer to their worth that they bring to the hospital. And because these pay raises uh, are so far and few between hospitals, or when they are, when they do come, they're like barely enough to keep up with, you know, the cost of living. Uh, we've seen a tremendous amount of nurses and healthcare providers switch to um, to travel nursing and and traveling. And so since the pandemic, it used to be travel nursing would just sort of patch up the staffing holes if you had sort of the flu season and an increase in census and being more patients in the hospital. You need a few extra nurses in the hospital, so you contact a travel agency. Well, the pandemic blew through our reserves of nurses, and now hospitals who are already staffing pretty thin are short, and they're short by a lot. And so they're turning to staffing agencies year-round because the nurses are finding that they're going to join a staffing agency, uh, a a travel agency, um, rather than sticking at the hospital. And so it's this kind of like cycle, whereas nurses feel less valued, and burnt out working for the hospital, they decide to more likely like just go work for themselves by associating themselves with an agency and going out on their own, picking 13 week contracts um, in locations that uh, that they want to go in hospitals they want to go in uh, and really finding more opportunity to take breaks and the vacations that they need. During the pandemic, uh-huh. they weren't getting any vacations really. And you talk to a lot of nurses and you ask them, you know, tell me, tell me what it's like trying to request a vacation. And they'll tell you, you know, how many times that they're told their, their vacations denied because there's not enough staff to let them take that time off. We're talking nursing. As you know, I'm a nurse, but for an impressive 21st year, nursing was rated as the most trusted profession once again in 2022, according to a Gallup poll. But despite its number one ranking, only 79% of U.S. adults now believe nurses have very high or high honesty and ethical standard. Unfortunately, this is 10 percentage points lower than the highest rating for nurses during 2020 in the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. Do you know a nurse? Do you love a nurse? Did you raise a nurse? Well, you did really well because nurses are very well thought of, but unfortunately, they're not paid according to what they're worth. And I'm delighted to have Zach Smith remain on the line with me. Zach is also a registered nurse. And Zach, I just want to say, I really appreciate you coming on. Do you have any idea how difficult it is for me to get other nurses to come? I'm wondering what's wrong with me. I come on every Sunday night uh, to get nurses to come on and talk about 
these issues that we're talking about tonight, violence against nurses and um, travel nurses, and we're going to be talking about AI as well. Um, so I really appreciate uh, you being on here, Zach. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you raising these important issues. So thanks for having the show and having me on. Well, awesome. I will mention also that Zach is the VP of Brand and Engagement and Stability at Stability, sorry, Healthcare, founding member of Nurse Grid. Um, And if you have a question or a comment about nurses or nursing care or your recent hospitalization or long wait in the emergency department, how you've been treated, give me a call or a text. The number to call or text is 1-877-399-9898. That's 1-877-399-9898. Have you had good, bad experiences? What are your thoughts on, on nursing and nurses in your health authority if you have been hospitalized? Um, you know, we were talking about staffing and travel nurses and, and hospitals and healthcare authorities using travel nurse companies who obviously place a premium on that, it, it just seems like a no-brainer to me. Why don't, it, I just imagine all these administrators running around like the sky is falling, the sky is falling, call the travel agency and, and you know, the travel nursing agency and just get nurses in here. It doesn't matter what the cost is. Why don't they just say, let's just pay the nurses we have here better. Let's just treat them a little better. Let's give them free parking. Let's, you know, give them a $10 an hour raise during the pandemic. What... Why isn't, aren't other people, if budgets are so concerning and people are feeling that their healthcare systems are failing, why is such an irresponsible decision being made? Well, you know, nurses are the largest labor, uh, the labor expense inside of hospitals. And so you raise one nurse's wage and you have to raise them all, or at least so they say. And and that's an extremely large expense that is hard for them to take on. And unfortunately, I think hospitals are too nearsighted with these decisions. They see, the, you know, they see the, the profit and loss sheet at the end of the quarter, when in reality, if they would do more, they pay their nurses more, they'd provide a better working environment for nurses, they would retain them a lot more. We'd bring more nurses off the sideline. They wouldn't have to rely on uh, travel agencies and staffing agencies like Stability Healthcare um, to staff their hospitals because they would be retaining more of their staff. So it's, it's a long-term game. I think hospitals need to start looking a little bit further in the distance in the short term. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. And, you know, nurses would be happy with, you know, I mean, some of the travel nurses are getting, you know, $10, $20, $30 an hour more. Plus, on top of that is a premium. Um, I, I knew one situation where they were charging 110 to 120 an hour, the the travel nurse company, and they were paying the nurses $32 an hour, $35 an hour. Um, and they, they could not retain nurses. Even that travel company could not retain the nurses because they were just taking all the money for themselves. I mean, none of this makes sense to me, but that makes a little bit of sense. But nurses would be good with $5 more an hour. You know, that, that would make them quite happy. It's another $800 uh, a month, you know, and um, anyway, so and and also make but the working you, conditions a little bit better. Um, but anyway, I, was, I did want to ask you. Say, you I, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say real quick too. You know, I don't think nurses would be clamoring for pay raises quite as much if they had safe staffing levels. The reason nurses want to be paid more is because they're doing the work of two nurses oftentimes, and they're saying if we're going to be working in these environments, we should at least be compensated better for it. That is true. And once again, though, they may have retained some nurses if everybody was given a bit of a a pay raise and maybe a promise of one um, down the road, because it certainly costs. 
the hospitals and healthcare systems a lot of money, and it certainly can, especially when nurses work short and it can be dangerous for patients. And then, you know, what can happen there? Errors in hospitals and then errors lead to lawsuits. And, you know, it's just um, a disaster waiting to be happened. I think we really need to fix this. I don't want to keep you too much longer. I know you have lots of things to do at the conference you're at. I did want to ask you, just remind us, uh, the listeners, what Nurse Grid is. Yeah, Nurse Grid's a free mobile app for nurses uh, that helps them manage their schedule and connect with colleagues. It was one of the first nurse apps, uh, the, the uh, first apps that was designed specifically for nurses, and it was designed by people like me, who, who's a nurse, and our founder, Joe, who's a nurse. We were just trying to provide a service for nurses because, like we talked about, it seems like so often we're talking about nurses and providing services around nurses, but who's really looking specifically at our profession and creating, providing tools for them? And that's what we did, and today it has over 2 million downloads of the mobile app, which we're super proud of. Wow, that's amazing. Congratulations on that. Now, that's technology, and technology has certainly come into the hospitals and has come into healthcare. Um, and I just wanted to talk a little bit about AI, artificial intelligence, coming into nursing. How's yeah, that going to affect? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think everyone's a little leery of AI, right? Is it going to come take my job? And uh, no, nurses are no different than that. But I look at this as a huge opportunity for nurses because, like we've been talking about, nurses are overburdened with too many, uh, too many patients and oftentimes too many tasks to do that really aren't critical thinking tasks, which is a lot of what we go to school for. That critical thinking can be taken out of our hands and, and we're placed with sort of administrative tasks and a lot of things that AI can help with. So I look at AI as a massive opportunity to free up our workload so we can get back to spending more time with the patients uh, and spending more time in that room rather than thinking about AI becoming a nurse and doing our job for us. I, I don't think that's something that's going to happen anytime soon. So I look at this more as an opportunity for us that we should be involved in as nurses so we can guide it in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but could it be used in, um, you know, nursing documentation, for example, and even, you know, I don't know, maybe not when you're just with the patient, but even like chat GBT, um, you know, you can enter something and even say, can you write a nursing note that my patient is stable, a febrile, walk to the bathroom, denies pain and have them write it up? Oh, totally. There's, I mean, I think AI can take a lot of that initial work um, out of the way for you. And then you come in and you review it and you and make edits mm-hmm. wherever it is necessary, add extra color, but it can really do a lot of that work for you. And thinking about like you know, med rec is something that you have to do as a nurse or as even as a physician where you're taking, okay, what medications do you take? Um, okay, how often do you take them? When was the last time you take them? Imagine if you just had a recording of this where AI can just do a dictation and it can record all of that uh, information down and immediately put it into the computer for you without you having to scroll through all the different, you know, and see the medicines and, and medications that are in there. It can do this work for you. So you're in there having the conversation with the patient and AI is documenting it all in the computer. That doesn't actually exist. It's just something I thought about that would be cool, but it's an example of how AI can really simplify um, our workloads, but also give us more time back. Absolutely. And, you know, it's that streamlining in in nursing that needs to be done or in healthcare even from the time that the patient is admitted to the, 
even from the emergency department before they go up to the wards, you know, just everything is just all there in one place. It's all, you know, you're not waiting for somebody to review a chart. You're not waiting for an order here. You're not waiting for the x-ray, um, you know, just streamline the entire system. I, I do agree with you. I think AI is going to make our lives a lot easier. Zach, I really appreciate you coming on um, the uh, the show tonight. I, I just wanted to mention a um, uh, one of the text messages that I got. It says, bring back all the nurses that you fired. I didn't fire them, but bring back all the nurses that you fired that were unjabbed. <laughs> Do you have an opinion on that, Zach? <laughs> Not to put you on the spot. Well, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, a, a lot of those nurses have found have found work uh, in, in plenty of places um, where uh, vaccination is not required. But, you know, as medical professionals, we are entering into extremely uh, we're entering into rooms with extremely sick and vulnerable patients. You think about these cancer patients and lots of times with things like covid and, and, and flu and other things like we don't want to bring that into their into their health system because they can really do a number on someone with a really, you know, deteriorated immune system and sometimes even kill them. So it's important that we take this stuff seriously as healthcare providers, that we are doing what we can to prevent our patients from picking up on anything that might do damage to them. Right, exactly. And, and you know, um, there's estimates of about 80% of um, healthcare workers received at least one dose of the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine during the pandemic. I was surprised at the number of nurses, uh, the percentage of nurses that did not receive it. And, you know, you know, COVID is back because I bet, you know, people, and I know people who have um, gotten COVID you're getting it again. You're hearing it, hearing about people getting COVID again. And, you know, I, I have a situation where um, the a friend is going through cancer treatments and two of her children have COVID. And of course she's very, very concerned being um, that she's immunocompromised. And, and so people don't think really about other people. And anyway, that's another, that's another segment. That's another show, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you come back. <laughs> Zach, Absolutely. Come back. I hope you have me back. I really appreciate it. I don't know if you remember this, but back in May, I think it was, the CEO of The Washingtonian, which is a monthly magazine that's distributed in the Washington, D.C., um, had to apologize because she had written a, a, a Washington Post op-ed where she theoretically or seemed to or allegedly threatened her employees' job status if they not returned full-time to the office upon reopening. And she basically said that they would, the people who were coming into the office would be treated more favorably than those who chose to continue working remotely. And, you know, um, management typically promotes people who that they, who they see and that they know this is a big issue. A lot of people are loving working from home. Um, and I mean, I have to say there are some benefits to it. Uh, there, the jury's out on whether you're more productive or less productive. Some people feel they're more productive when other people are around. There are certainly advantages and disadvantages to both. Um, Mayor Mike Bloomberg took it a step further and, and he may not be that far off um, this week when he said that remote workers are all playing golf every Friday. Are you a remote worker? Are you playing golf? Um, what are you doing? Do you feel that it's beneficial? Do you want to go back into the office? I hear about a lot of um, 
people who are do not want to come back into the office. They like their newfound life. It took a little adjustment at the beginning um, with homeschool and that kind of thing, but the kids are back to school. And people are basically saying, you know, we we are just as productive at home where we can do without the commute. We can do without the parking expense. Um, companies are saying, come in two days a week, make it a hybrid model. A lot of jobs are staying uh, on job boards. They're actually saying they're hybrid or they're entirely remote. Um, I know somebody who recently got a position and the job was not remote, but they, and it was in fact, it was in another town like hours away and, and they didn't have anybody. Um, for the job. And so this particular person was interested in the position and said, you know, I'll, I'll do it if I can be remote. And they were actually the successful candidate on that. So there are, um, you know, there are certainly advantages, but right now this just seems like a time when um, it might not be the best time to bring people back into the office. I don't know. What are your thoughts? one 9898 That's one 9898 Coronaviruses mutate. Um, I know people think that the science changed, but that's not true. That was just words that politicians were saying, thinking that that would make people understand, but it didn't make them understand that coronaviruses mutate and change. And so therefore... Um, they, you know, they have to take different approaches. There's a tremendous amount of controversy on masks. My thing is, you know, it's not going to harm you, the mask, although some people say they're chemicals, they're not made in North America, they're not made in North America. You know, um, I don't think we have mask wards, so people aren't being hospitalized um, for wearing a mask. Uh, we certainly don't see vaccine wards either. We saw a lot of COVID wards and we saw a lot of people dying as a result of COVID. And more so we saw um, COVID, the unvaccinated, according to the data, the unvaccinated um, died, got COVID and died in much higher uh, percentages. Um, I do have somebody who's texted in, only the jabbed are getting cancer or COVID. We all became Facebook scientists during the pandemic. At the beginning, everybody was scared and frightened. And, you know, the I don't know what happened. The messaging got lost with the scientists. We have a call. Um, we have a call. Um, here we go. Uh, Don in Edmonton. Hello, Don. I, I, oh, I had to turn my truck off, but I didn't get it. It's, it's all uh, right. Calling me from the car, are you? <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> Anyway, every no time worries. I listen to you, my heart, my heart melts. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Usually people's heart pounds. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, if you look at this, I wanted to talk about housing and how affordable it is outside of the, the centers. Like I just watched a property as I was talking to the person that screamed me. Um, it, uh, four acres, nice house, uh, needs cleaning inside. Um, structurally sound, lots of outbuildings, four and a half acres, $50,000. Wonderful. <laughs> I know, but sounds but like that, a deal. Where is reality. it? That's a, a reality out where I'm at. I'm, I'm a Northeast of Edmonton by a couple hours. I mean, that, but, you but know, <laughs> I, I've, I've seen better deals than that. Actually. I thought it was kind of high because his first offer was, was 25, but I see, <laughs> Properties sell in towns for like twenty five thousand, fifty thousand, like nice two bedroom. I know, but you have to live there then. 
<laughs> I know. But Is there anything there? But, but, <laughs> oh, yeah, working a little store across the street. Like it's not I like see. We're not nice people out here. It's just you know, it's just <laughs> like it's a it's a different lifestyle. You know, you can't go Certainly to you know, opera or you know that kind of stuff, right? So yeah. And it, it, anyway, you're talking just before I <laughs> came on. You're talking about the COVID thing, and um, like I keep track track of everybody's statistics, like U.S. military, insurance, um, Belgium. Uh, Germany, uh, Japan, and I, like I've been in alternative health for like 30 years. So, and uh-huh. that the the vaccination shot, they said, oh, we're going to make it better. It's going to work. It didn't work when it came out the first time, and it didn't work when it came out the second time. And the statistics can prove it. You can go to U.S. military. I I can rattle them off if you want, but it, it they just they don't work. It, it's it's not a functional vaccination shot. It doesn't stop you from, it doesn't kill the virus, doesn't stop you from getting it, doesn't stop you from spreading it. In fact, if you had the virus, I know more people have died in the last year that I cared about, but they got vaccinated. And some of them didn't even make it out of the hospital. And some of them, like, within two weeks, and the doctors wouldn't even give an explanation. And I know one lady, she lost her entire family. She lost her brother, her mother, her father, and all the rest of it. So it, it, it was experimental and I can, I can, I can text you or email you. I hate using email, but I can send you all the statistical data that's coming out now. So I don't want to sound like a crazy person, but anyway, do you want no, me to that, off statistics? That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we have enough time. Um, unfortunately, this has become extremely politicized. I'm in healthcare. I do a lot of review of the data myself. And, um, and so, you know, there it's hmm how do i say this first of all i want to say i get your point that people can work remotely in the north you know four hours from edmonton in the northeast corner okay (laughs) um no but 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 saskatchewan too has amazing uh property values you get i know one friend he he went to saskatchewan he bought like two really nice houses like twenty five thousand dollars each so Right now, joining me on the line is Dr. Tomi Mitchell. She's a medical doctor, family physician. She's also a productivity coach. Her website is holisticwellnessstrategies.com. Good evening, Dr. Mitchell. Good evening, Maureen. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. A little disgruntled with the real estate market, but no. <laughs> I'm uh, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's just like, forget it. You can't even win. You know, Whether you own a house or not, you cannot even win in that. Uh, deal, but it, I'm sure it's going across all across Canada as well, and causing yeah. um, lots of issues um, for people. Whether they need more space, or they need less space, or they, you know, want to change location or whatever. So it's just, and with the rising interest rates, although they were quelled once recently, but um, looks like those are going to be sticking around for a while, and they can cause a lot of stress for people. And that's a lot of the work that you do is you. Um, you do your productivity coach, but I know that you deal with people who are uh, stressed, have may have mental health concerns or issues, or stretch too thin or burnt out, and um, so that's awesome that you can help people with that. Um, and I wanted to start off with sleep issues. I got this email after the show last week after we talked about sleep divorce, and um, so somebody emailed in 
Dear Maureen, my partner struggles with getting a good night's sleep, tosses and turns all night. No deep sleep, usually 20 to 30 minutes, and then she's tired when she gets up. I'm trying to find something that can help her. This is sleep is a major concern for people. And this is tied to mental health as well. It's critical that people get a uh, good night's sleep and that they address it. And if the first place they come is the Sunday night health show. <laughs> awesome. Well, <that's> uh, honor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes. So what would you say to this person who wrote in about their partner and their partner's sleep issues? Yeah, for me, I always like to try to analyze like what's going on. Is this partner asleep? Is a like a shift worker? Are they snoring? Is there sleep apnea maybe going on? Is there caffeine use in the afternoon? Like, are they under a lot of mental stress? Like, really, what's going on? Uh-huh. Um, so digging deep first before we really think of a, you know, potential treatment option, right? Right, so a full-on assessment, Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I've... I have a theory about sleeping, and I'm just curious if you think this is true or not. This is like Facebook research. (laughs) This is like anecdotal, totally. Uh, There are sleepers and there are non-sleepers. There are people Mm -hmm. who can sleep, people who can fall asleep 10 minutes after they put their head down. People can Mm -hmm. fall asleep on a plane. People can fall asleep on the couch. Uh, I'm I'm not talking about myself. (laughs) I am. Um, And then there are people who... Can't fall asleep. They're, they wake yeah. up in the middle of the night. They get up early. They're tired all day. They just can't sleep. And oftentimes it's, they say, my mind is going, you know, mm-hmm. I'm solving all the world's problems. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm designing a cabin. I am building this. I have created that in my mind when I go to sleep. So they cannot shut their minds off. So I just feel like there's, we're in a world of sleepers and non-sleepers. Definitely. They have too much on their mind. That might be a good time for them to put those things onto paper and get it off their mind for a minute, right? But yeah, no, this is true. I blessed to be able to sleep and but there's reasons why I can sleep. So that's a conversation that I guess needs more discussion at a later time for this mm-hmm. individual. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, um, just hypothetically, would, you know, we talked about this person getting an assessment. Um, there are sleep clinics. Um, so they probably would go to their, since they've come to the Sunday Night Health Show first, second, they would probably go to their family doctor if they yeah. have one. And yeah. then maybe ask for a referral to a sleep clinic, or I think some of them are private as well. They can just go and have yeah. a sleep assessment at a sleep clinic. Would that be another? Um, 100% part on this clinical pathway? 100%. And and, um, you mentioned a few things, the caffeine and I don't, I mean, alcohol could be an issue if they're having, you know, drinks in the evening. Um, They might be getting up to go to the bathroom. We don't know. We don't have a lot of information here. Um, But let's just say all is great. They have no caffeine. They're not drinking alcohol. They go to bed at the same time. Um, They're not, you know, chipmunks aren't running around in their head planning the world. Um, would you, uh, recommend medication, um, for somebody, if they've gone through a sleep clinic, they don't have sleep apnea. And I, and I agree, I think they should be assessed for sleep apnea. Um, but, and there's no, um, reason to be found. So there's no sleep apnea, everything's good, but they can't sleep, but they have to get sleep because you, it's dangerous not to get sleep in your day. You're, you're not productive and you're a risk of falling and you're not going to be accurate. Um, so is medication an option or 
would you suggest something like an app like calm or um, there's a number of apps sleep Z yeah. um, that somebody could try I, would I have a list of them here all of the above non-pharmaceutical first like everything possible um, obviously the A to Z for the medical assessment try these apps try the right pillow the cooling pillow this like everything but at the uh -huh. end of the day sleep is critical Right. If you're a truck driver, if you're, you know, have a job that you, your decisions make a big deal in someone else's life, you need to right. sleep. So whether that's and melatonin or a gentler prescription medication to try as needed while you're still working on other things, by all means, I'm not against sleeping pills. You do need to sleep, but at the same time, obviously, try those non-medical ways first and with other therapies as well. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to mention some of those um, technology, some of those apps, Headspace, SnoreLab, SleepBot, Sleep, SleepZ, Pillow, and Calm. Um, or as you say in Canada, Calm. <laughs> I think like that's how you say it. Person. I'm like, what are you from Boston? Calm. Calm. Calm down now. Um, yeah, so those are another option today. I mean, uh, AI, I don't think we're quite there yet, although there's going to have to be some collaboration and synergy between scientists, sleep technologists, medical doctors, engineers, um, to help to develop those medical AI algorithms that are clinically relevant, reliable, and would be impactful in improving patient care yeah. uh, in sleep medicine. So, I mean, sleep medicine, it is exactly as it states, and it is medicine, and you have to have um, good sleep. And And I would say, correct me if I'm wrong, just keep going until you find the right answer. Would you agree? 100%. Yeah. 100%, Maureen. Sleep is so important. And um Anyway, and I'm sure you find that as a productivity coach, that that's a lot of the issue for people is that they're tired they're because they're not sleeping. Yeah, they're not getting that deep sleep, that restorative sleep. And that's exactly. critical. Yeah. Exactly. Something else I wanted to bring to your attention, um, celebrities are getting full body health scans. Mm -hmm. um, this is just something else. They're all went on Ozempic and now they want to see that everything is okay on the inside. Um, and, you know, convincing people to get recommended health screenings can, can be arduous, can be an uphill battle. And a lot of people skip, uh, particular cancer screenings, cancer screenings in particular, even though they might be covered by insurance, but there's something big going on in Hollywood because there's not a lot of filming because we have the strike going on. Mm -hmm. um, but people are actually getting these full body scans. What are your thoughts on those? Yeah, um, I think the foundation is most important, like getting those preventive screenings, like the basic things, like the stool test, blood work, mammograms, pap smears, prostate, all that good stuff. Um, as far as the MRIs and the full body screening, I think we've kind of, for the very few select person, perhaps that might be appropriate, but this is someone who probably has a family history of every strange, rare cancer in their, his in their family history and someone who's also done the other screening tests. So this is not the norm. Perhaps there's that 0.5% of people that this might make sense. But if you're not doing the foundational things, you can overanalyze what looks like an enlarged lymph node and it's nothing and go through all these invasive tests when a CBC complete blood count would have shed some light. So no, this is like the horse 
before the car, well, the car before the horse. Got to make sure my brain is working. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Did I'm you like, get sleep last night? Before the cart. Yes. Um, but generally, no. I think we're distracting from the bigger issues, and that's the primary care, preventive care, and the stuff that we know is tried, tested, and proved, and, and mm-hmm. cost-effective, and yeah. accessible to most people, especially in Canada. Maybe not exactly. the U.S. so much, but m- more so in Canada. My guest is Dr. Tommy Mitchell, and we are talking about the tragic situation at Calgary daycare facilities leading to their closure. Many children testing positive for E. coli. Parents advised to keep their children at home and be mindful of why their daycare was closed. This has affected parents. Many cannot go back to work. Um, it's affecting them financially, and not to mention it is a tremendous stress. As you know, your health is your wealth. And E. coli is a very serious medical condition. Thanks so much for staying on the line, Dr. Mitchell. My pleasure. And can you explain to the listeners what E. coli is? Well, E. coli is a bacteria that is normally found in our in our colon. Um, however, depending on the strain and the impact on the client based on age and other um, mobilities, it can cause significant illness, as in this case, that literally spread like wildfire, impacting multiple Calgary daycares and hospitalizing dozens of children and some who are in serious, dire conditions. So it's a bacteria transmitted very easily through poorly cooked food, poor hand washing, contaminated water products. So something we all need to pay attention to. Absolutely. And it can cause severe stomach cramps, bloody diarrhea, vomiting. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these kids were experiencing this. I I read some Mm -hmm. in one article where kids were excreting their skin. Um, Yeah. And uh, it, and also it can cause kidney damage and in the form of HUS, hemolytic uremic syndrome. Can you explain to the listeners what that is? Yeah, so this is a result of some toxins produced from the from E. coli and can negatively affect the kidney, causing significant disease resulting in blood transfusions, kidney failure, just organ shutdown obviously death if not treated properly. There's no cure, but all we can do is really treat the symptoms and hope for the best. So it's very rare. To give you perspective, in the U.S., we typically see like two, two to 300 cases a year. And in Calgary, I believe we've close to a dozen, if not more. And mm-hmm. that's just one city. So very rare, but when it happens, very, it can be very tragic. Oh, Absolutely. And- yeah. And these kids are such at such a young age. And my sense is that the parents are feeling that they're not feeling heard. They're not oh, feeling. 100%. Yeah. They're, 100%. They're, they're, I think the premier tweeted out something and some yeah. people were saying, you know, one tweet is not enough. Not even close. You know, this is a facility that the subject facility failed inspections, you know, shortly before this happened, and perhaps there were other issues in the past, I'm not sure, but these are young children that are entrusting their, their parents entrusted their young children to the lives of these agencies these, that are supposed to be safe, that are supposed to have standard, and they just, they didn't feel listened to, like you said, like, you're, imagine your baby having, diarrhea is bad enough, but then when you add bloody diarrhea, screaming children as they're colon tissue is coming out of their bum. Like that is horrific and not getting clear answers. And 
you know, and just being helpless. Mm-hmm. A- absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And it's not an easy decision to send your child to daycare. And we don't think about E. coli as, or, or a particular um, strain of E. coli as going to be the culprit of the danger for your child. You know, yeah. we're wondering about, you know, are the other kids hitting each other? You know, what's mm-hmm. the, what is, is it? Are there toys available for them? Does it yeah, look clean? The mouth, is there lights? Is there cold going on? Yeah, you're right. I, you know, Maureen, you did mention something really important. I have to put a plug in for the parents who have to put their kids in daycare. Because a lot of times parents who put their kids in daycare feel judged. Like, oh, my goodness, why are you putting your kids in daycare? Mm-hmm. A lot of parents, yeah. including myself, that was my only option. Mm-hmm. Right? So don't feel guilty that you put your kids in a facility that was supposed to be licensed and safe. You know, and so that's right. And that, that you checked out and, you know, by all accounts, you felt yes. was safe. And the government, yes. you know, they probably didn't know that it, that the facilities didn't, some of those facilities did not pass inspection. Um, you know, it's just so sad. And I really hope that all of those children recover because my, my yeah. heart goes out to them. I mean, you can just imagine, you can't even imagine what those parents are going through with their kids at such a young age to see their children suffering so tragically and so terribly. Nobody ever likes their children to be sick and especially something that could have been prevented. Yes. Yes, definitely. Again, it's a reminder for all of us to do what we can do and that, you know, proper hand washing, safe handling of food, raw food separated from fresh foods, simple things that we sometimes air. Exactly. Just be safe. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.